has made a pitching change. Time now for our number two of Sports Talk. Evan Kahn is in the house with me, Scott Beatty. And you, thank you so much. If you want to weigh in on our program, the Castle Heating and Cooling text line is 217-351-5357. You can give us a jingle as well at 217-356-9397. And it's a feel-good day for Illinois baseball. And just when you like to see dreams come true for people. <laughs> Former Illini Michael Massey, a great second baseman, has gotten the call to the show in the most unusual of circumstances because 10 unvaccinated players are not going to the series against the Toronto Blue Jays. So Michael Massey who was with AAA Omaha and was coincidentally only playing a few hours away in Rochester makes the trip across the border and he's in a big league uniform tonight, not in the lineup. Very strange times we're living in. <laughs> he's going to get a big league check. First of all, that'll be nice. Mm-hmm. But you think about all the all the what you put in all those summers and the early whatever the workouts and the thousands upon thousands of ground balls and the hours in the cage, and you get to go to the show. That's pretty cool. And he's twenty four, and he's got a you, you, time's ticking by the time you're twenty four, right? This is a, a great audition, and you can take it any way that you can get it. And for Michael Massey, he's going to get all those things that Crash Davis talked about on the back of the. Bus in Bull Durham, you know, he's going to get the white baseballs. He's going to get his own hotel room. All the women's have long legs and brains, you know. It's just. <laughs> they don't get woolly. <laughs> no. They women, get weary. Women do not get woolly. <laughs> Will she get woolly? <laughs> but, no, it's it's really cool. You you suggested it yesterday, and it, it worked out just as we thought that it, it might. And cool ballpark, great venue to to make your big league league debut so hopefully we'll, we'll see Michael Massey get at least an AB if not a, a start here over the weekend up in Toronto yeah I don't know if it's a uh, hey look rookie you just you just be happy to be here but left-handed bat if pitching matchups warrant uh, something where he would get to come in that'd be that'd be kind of cool and he's been swinging it really well mm-hmm. and Honestly, there's always not a huge jump between the talent at Double A, Triple A, and the big leagues. Uh, I mean, your top end guys are your top end guys. Really, it's about consistency. Yep. Uh, guys in Double A can throw 95 to 100. They just maybe aren't locating as well as mm-hmm. some of the guys that are always up. Uh, guys in Double A and Triple A can hit it 450 feet. The Guys in the big leagues don't miss on mistakes. Mm-hmm. That's usually a difference, and they they figured out how to hit some pitches that other guys can't. The adjustment, yeah, the, you're just constantly making adjustments at the big league level, especially now with the constant video. It's not just between games, but it's between innings. It's between at-bats. You're getting looks at guys. You're picking up on tendencies, and, and they can flip on, on things in a dime. But, no, Michael, he's added he's added the pop since he's made it to the pros. He's always had the bat-to-ball skills, uh, a great swing, really steady in the field. It, it was finding that pop and being able to, to find a place to get onto the field and looks like they've been trying to do that at at AAA and being up with the big league roster and 10 guys down you imagine they're going to find some way to to possibly work him in there yeah and his back's finally 100 percent, which it wasn't really in college and that's allowed him as well to develop uh his his power game it's so strange um 
you know, we don't get political to, we don't dive into the political debate on this show. And, but I just want to know how strange it is that Whit Merrifield, I think he's getting a little bit of what's coming to him. It's one thing if you don't want to get the vaccine, um, because what did his teammate, Andrew Benatendi say? It was a personal choice. I'm not getting it. Okay. What, you know, end of story. Nobody's, there's no laws. There's no, we're not forcing anybody here. Um, but Merrifield takes it another step and says, if I get traded to a team that's competitive and thus might have to go play again in Toronto in meaningful games, I'll reconsider. Huh. I don't think you're buying any friends in your clubhouse. Or certainly Dayton Moore was not happy and expressed his displeasure publicly with Whit Merrifield's statement. <laughs> My goodness, that was a little bit... Uh, I, <laughs> I didn't I didn't see that. He That's... basically said, I'm not getting the vaccine because we're not contending. <laughs> <laughs> Send me to a team that is and I'll get the needle. <laughs> That's uh, a <laughs> what, what, what an awkward situation for especially for a guy that's been in trade rumors for years and years, but never really pulled the trigger because the value was too much there or so the the royals thought but yeah now that's just it doesn't look bad no there was a time when we didn't want needles in the clubhouse (laughs) (laughs) and now you wonder what that does for for his trade market and and for teams that were looking at him because i can't remember who had the article maybe it was jeff basson or, or something but Really, if you were looking at him as an American League team, you kind of have to, to second-guess it. Although, if he's going to get the jab, then maybe you don't so much. But I don't know what the clearance time is for for all that. And if you want to be getting the jab midseason, especially as a guy who yeah, hadn't missed a game in like four years, <laughs> um, maybe he, he makes that choice a, a little sooner than, than now. What? Yeah, just a, Sorry, a really we're in fifth uh, place. I'm out. Really <laughs> awkward situation for for the Royals over the last couple of days. I mean, I read his comment. I did not read his comments in the context of, wow, this guy's so bad in, in, on Twitter or something. I just read his comments and I went, this is going to be a problem for him, <laughs> and it's been a PR disaster. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Uh, what else? Uh, Cardinals last night. Oh, Cardinals. Pain. Oh, pain. that was painful. I told you this morning, you could just see the clouds on the horizon that was the Dodger lineup as they started <laughs> chipping away at a 6 nothing deficit. And it just looked like the Cardinals suddenly realized we've got no shot. And the Dodgers said, are you going to beat us 7-6? to six? We will return the favor. <laughs> They, they used, Most big league clubs can hold six run leads. They they used all their arms to get that win yeah. the, the day before, and they forced Gallegos into back-to-back there at the end, hoping to, to lock it down. But, I mean, how deep can your bullpen and rotation really go? They used seven arms, I think, yesterday, and typically you don't want to touch any of those guys, so you're going into your eight through 13 guys against the best lineup in baseball and and things just kind of happen like that sometimes, which is too bad because they got to Tony Gonzalez like nobody else had this year. You're feeling pretty comfortable. Wainwright didn't have the the worst of starts. Do I have that right? Wainwright started yesterday. Yeah, went five innings or or so, and and he locked it down, and and then, yeah, the Dodgers just kind of do what they do. Yeah. Wainwright didn't have his, quote, best command and still – tamped down that whole lineup but they got it in the bullpen and and it's actually a starting pitching issue mm-hmm. for the cardinals because 
you're down don't starting have five starters. Yeah, yeah, so you're getting into the back end of the bullpen and and credit you're 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 facing the LA Dodgers. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't wasn't really the, help things. It wasn't the Royals. <laughs> or the Royals. There you go. <laughs> uh, we got Cubs and O's. Boy, the, the, the O's, like I said, my new favorite team. <laughs> they stay red hot, uh, unfortunately, at the expense of the Cubs. Yeah. Dylan Cease, or not Dylan Cease, that's the other game that happened yesterday. But uh, Justin Steele did not have a good first inning, something we didn't get into with Dan Hartwood yesterday. But he, he seems to be tinkering with, do I want to use my secondaries in the first? Do I want to just cut it and sink it and, and try to use the off-speed stuff as we go the second time through? And, and didn't really have the command, and he got blown up. And at one point, I think he sat down 11 or 12 in a row. So he figures it out after a certain point. It's just the first inning, and then that third time through the rotation for for Justin Steele and then the offense just could not supply there much anything fair there are fewer and fewer starters in the big leagues that managers or clubs as a whole want seeing the third trip through the order so mm-hmm. it, and it's going to be interesting as we move towards shrinking the number of position pitchers that are available and all the other things we're trying to do in baseball if we get back to that because there's a couple of guys that have no problem with that but everybody else it's just assumed we're going to figure you out and as dominant as pitching can be hitters can be that good right i need you can get me twice but you're not gonna fool me three times which which is you know the the double-edged sword that that we come to right everybody says oh the hitters got to adjust they got to hit it the other way why are you striking out so much well you're seeing four different pitchers and four at bats something that Hank Aaron never had to do he saw the same pitcher four times in in a day and if he got him the first time he sure as heck was going to get him the fourth time he saw him through the order whereas now that's not happening. You're lucky if somebody touches you up the first time through. You're lucky if you get to see him a, a second time. And then if you do that, then you're probably going to see a, a, another guy. And everybody's coming out throwing 95. And, and and it's all about getting a good fastball and one good off-speed pitch. Maybe two. If you get two, then you're a starter. And then you get to face a, a rotation two times through. But most guys are just developing a, a, a fastball and off-speed pitch. And you can get a lineup one time down and... and hitters you know just same kind of thing you don't get to see guys as much so everything just looks a little different or you're Shane Bieber and you can just mow through the White Sox lineup because they forgot to show up <laughs> well it, Shane Bieber hasn't had the the greatest of seasons but yeah he's, <laughs> he's one of those guys who, who can go three four times through a, a lineup and you're not too worried because he's got about seven different pitches Matt Fortuna is on deck for us so to speak and we'll switch gears into Big Ten and college football. Uh, Fortuna, another one of the great writers that has been watching all of this shuffling around and gives us his perspective. We are back after this with Matt Fortuna on Sports Talk. Oh, Fortuna. It's Matt Fortuna joining us now on Sports Talk. He is a key writer for The Athletic, covering the world of college football and beyond, and good enough to make some time for us here. So much for a quiet summer, Matt Fortuna. Thanks for being here. (laughs) 
No, no kidding. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it, you know, I was talking to someone earlier today. It's, you know, the, the season, and this is not a complaint, but the season's kind of like a vacation, right? You go to a football game, you write about it, and you go home. It's pretty simple. Here it's lawyers and realignment and TV markets, all this other stuff that they don't necessarily teach you in J school. But it, it, it's fun. I, I do like the excitement and drama of it all. Well, in a couple of weeks, it's Big Ten Media Days. Will there be any questions asked there about this upcoming season? <laughs> um, probably. I mean, look, uh, Jim Harbaugh and Ryan Day will be in the same room, right, for the first time probably since uh, Jim Harbaugh finally beat Ohio State in November and took some shots at them uh, on the way out as well. So I, I think there will be some questions. I mean, you know, I say that, and as I say it, I think myself, wow, like, we forget Michigan's the reigning Big Ten champs, right? We're so used to, to just saying Ohio State year after year after year that, um, you know, you, you forget that there's kind of a new bully on the block, so to speak. Now, obviously, Ohio State's got the big opener with game day against Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame, and, and that's going to take up a lot of the week one oxygen as well. But there, there will be football questions asked, I'm sure. But, you know, to your point, I, I'm a little surprised just because this stuff is official, and they made it official shortly after the media broke the news. Um, I, I'm a little surprised they didn't just do a Zoom call with Kevin Warren and, and the, the ADs from uh, the, the two editions right then and there just to, to get it out of the way, get all the questions out of the way, because um, absolutely that's going to be a, the dominant talking point um, at media days in a couple of weeks. Matt Fortuna writes for The Athletic. He's here with us on Sports Talk. Hi, Matt. This is Evan. You you're, you mentioned Notre Dame. Do, do you believe that the Big Ten is interested in Notre Dame and Notre Dame only? And Because you, you sounded a slightly nervous that somebody might be added to the, the Big Ten while we're doing this uh, interview <laughs> here. So are there others that they're looking at, or do you believe that it's Notre Dame or bust? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're very happy with what they got. I mean, they have 16 teams now, and, and Notre Dame's probably the only one out there not in the Big Ten or SEC right now that, that would make either league whole, so to speak, when you start doing the math and looking at who's going to get what when you divide that, that financial pie up 16 or more slices. Um, I, I think that's kind of an evergreen philosophy of the Big Ten when it comes to Notre Dame, and probably with any conference when it comes to Notre Dame, certainly they would want to have them. I, I think in this case – I'm sure there have been some back-channel conversations. I don't think there's any kind of full-court press or anything like that right now just because, again, they're getting ready to, to, to hopefully finalize their, their media deals here at the Big Ten, that is, in, in the next couple of weeks, if not the next month. And, um, you know, they just can't wait around forever. I mean, if, if and when Notre Dame's ready to join a conference, I'm sure the Big Ten will welcome them with open arms. And I, I certainly think the calculus from Notre Dame's point of view changed over the last couple of weeks as well, right? I mean – you know, it's one thing to, to sacrifice a little bit of money year after year to maintain your football independence. But when that those revenue streams get as big as, as the Big Ten's likely will be with this new deal and with these new additions, and when our idea of, of a conference goes from regional, Midwest-centric to, to literally national overnight, um, I, I think Notre Dame has to kind of take a look in the mirror and, and take a look at the books and, and think about what's in their best interest long term. Uh, both financially and as a football branding university overall. And, and I wonder uh, about the ACC, the conference that they're already a, a part of for the majority uh, of their sports. We haven't heard a whole lot from them as the Big 12 and the Pac-12 are talking about trying to add teams, and we know the SEC and the Big 10 already have. Do they do they feel that they're okay in the position they are? Does the TV deal that they have kind of lock them in uh, until maybe a, a smaller school and a smaller conference wanted to move up? 
For, for Notre Dame, that is, or for the ACC? For the ACC. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the revenue gap, I think, went from being like a pain to, to an existential threat last year when the SEC made the moves they did, adding Texas and Oklahoma, and I think that's only been exacerbated right now with the Big Ten's recent additions. Again, you're talking about 80 to $100 million in distribution per school um, you know, for, for those two conferences in the years to come, and the ACC is locked into their deal right now with ESPN and the ACC Network for another 14 years through 2036. And we saw the, the tax documents back in May, I believe, uh, of what each conference was distributing to its members. And in the ACC's case, it was between 34 and $36 million. And that was with uh, a full Notre Dame football slate because it was for 2020, the year Notre Dame had joined the conference full-time for football due to the pandemic. I mean, you do the math over the next 14 years. And if you're 50 or so million dollars behind per year, and you're multiplying that by 10, 12, 14 years, I mean, that that's just impossible to keep up with. I mean, I, I made the analogy in, in a column before the, the news broke, before the recent expansion news broke. Um, Dabo Sweeney signed an extension with Clemson after a second national title there in 2019. Uh, Ten years, $9.3 million per year, I think. And it was, oh, my God, like, look how much they're paying this guy. This guy's the highest paid coach in the country. I can't believe coaches are making this much, yada, yada, yada. The only other guy making $9 million at that point was the only other guy who, who could really hold a candle to Nick Saban. Now, um, the $9 million club's big. <laughs> you know, Brian <laughs> Kelly's there. Mel Tucker's there. Kirby Smart will be there when, when the details of his extension get finalized. Lincoln Riley, the private school at USC, but I'm pretty darn sure he's there right now as well, in addition to Jimbo Fisher and, and several others. So, um, you know, Clemson gets back on top and wins it all again this year, and Dabo's doing another extension. Uh, you, you know, Sure, they can afford it in the short term, but in the long term, especially when he's losing assistance the way he did this past year, uh, that's, I think, a a prime example of where you start to see the money start to hurt you. Obviously, you can't just buy your way to a championship, but the more resources you have, the better talent and personnel you're able to attract to your organization to put you in the best position to succeed. And I just think if you're an upper echelon ACC brand right now, um, you're looking to see what else is out there. And it, it's really tough because of that grant of rights agreement they had signed as part of the ACC network. It's going to cost hundreds of millions of dollars for anyone to break that deal if nothing changes with, with the dynamics of the league between now and then. And, and I think, you know, in some ways it's their greatest strength because they're the most stable of uh, the other conferences outside the Big Ten, the ACC, or, and SEC, excuse me. But um, in other ways, it breeds a lot of frustration because there are some very powerful brands in that league that don't feel like they're getting market value right now. Matt Fortuna with us. Matt, I'm going to ask a question that may uh, reveal more of my ignorance or naivety, but why not just – there's 65 power teams, right? Why not make four conferences of 16 teams each and whatever with Notre Dame? Either make them get into a conference uh, or they can keep being their independent selves. I don't really care. But why not just the the SEC has its sixteen, the Big Ten now has sixteen. Let's split up the other thirty two into two big conferences, and let's call it football conferences. I'm talking about football. Mm-hmm. Forget the other sports. Just just do football right. and and just let's have a super league and be done with it. I mean, I think it's trending that way. You know, we, we, you know, we'll, we'll call it the Big Ten and the SEC right now, but. In a couple of years, it's probably going to resemble more the AFC and the NFC, right? Like the SEC's on ESPN, the way 
the AFC is on CBS and uh, the Big Ten's on Fox, the way the NFC is on Fox. Mm-hmm. It's the best. They'll probably determine their own conference champion, however they want to do it, and they'll put one against the other in the other conference, and that will be that, right? Uh, but that's, I think, one of the, the overarching kind of uncertainties right now looming over everything is that when the, 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 the late great alliance voted against <laughs> expanding the college football playoff to 12 teams, everything is back on the table. And when they end up coming together and determining the next championship format beyond the year 2026, they no longer need unanimity in that voting room among all the commissioners. It's a majority rules. And you could say that right now and say, all right, you need to, you know, was it six commissioners out of 10 to, to, to vote on it? Or I guess six out of 11, if you include Jack Swarbrick from, from Notre Dame to vote on it. Um, the reality of the situation is the Big Ten SEC are so far removed from everyone else financially and so powerful with their stature across the college sports landscape right now that Greg Tank and Kevin Warren can just say to hell with this, we're going to do our own thing. You're either with us or you're not. And, and it's not our responsibility to figure out what you guys want to do. Um, and, and I don't think it'll be as cut and dry as that, but, but that's, I mean, it's plausible, right? I mean, throughout this process of playoff expansion, the stops and starts and the ultimately the ultimate kind of dissolution of, of that 12 team playoff we were all expecting to get Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, who was one of four men who put together that 12-team proposal, continuously said, you know what? That's fine. I, I do not have to go beyond four. The SEC is just fine as it is right now. You can tell by what's happening on the field every year. I distinctly remember uh, they had meetings in Indianapolis on the day of the national championship game uh, this January, and Greg Sankey was very furious with, with the way things were going. And he got up to leave, and I, I said, hey, you know, Commissioner, what's what's the next step, right? You guys didn't come to a, an agreement today. What's the next step for you guys to, to, to change your mind, to, to get back in the room and figure things out? And he said, the next step for me is to cr- walk across the street to Luke Soil Stadium to, to watch two teams play for the national championship that are both from the SEC. And that, to me, was the <laughs> ultimate power, power move, right? Like, you know what? I've been saying it the whole time. Now I'm going to show it. The SEC are, is the king of college football right now. No matter what we do, we're going to succeed at. You had your chance to have an access to a championship with this expanded playoff, and some of you decided against it. And look, look at college basketball, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, any sport, really. Uh, the surest path relevancy is access to a national championship. Like how the Gonzagas of the world have stayed, not just stayed relevant, become relevant, become superpowers over the years. Um, when you box yourself out from that opportunity, that's your first step toward extinction, in my opinion. And again, I think something will somehow people will come together, whether it's under the college football playoff umbrella, whether it's a break off. You know, I, I think there are a number of different you know ideas floating out there right now. I don't envision it overnight being just the two team like playoff, so to speak. But but, you know, there, that question is now on the table right now because the 12 team format fell apart and because of all that changed um, in the months since then. How close are we to players getting paid? I'm not talking about NIL. I'm not talking right. about uh, merit academic money that's coming now. But actually, you're an employee for the university or however it will be categorized, and you're going to get paid. And does that make also reinforce that the Big Ten and the SEC with all their media money are the big dogs? Uh, it reinforces that they're the big dogs. Are we close to that? I mean – Look, I mean, people have been talking about it for a while, and I think with NIL deregulated, so to speak, that's kind of opened up that up as the next step, right? I, 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 there are much smarter legal minds out there than myself that could probably speak to how you'd implement that, and I think that would be the biggest hurdle or hiccup toward it right now. But you know, I think I think you're 
we're going down that path, right? I mean, Jack Swarbrick, the athletic director at Notre Dame, uh, famously quoted in Sports Illustrated a couple months ago, essentially saying, you know, once all these TV contracts are out, probably 10 years or so from now, I guess 14 years or so in the ACC's case, he, he envisions a world where it's, you know, Fighting Irish Inc., Oregon Ducks Inc., um, and these football programs essentially operate you know, under the university branding and umbrella, but, but independently as far as their financial model. And uh, again, I, I, I probably not as good to speak to as far as the we- getting into the weeds of how that would work. But I mean, I think that's something, one of many things that athletic directors and commissioners around the country are, are grappling with right now. Like, where does this thing go and, and how do we get from point A to point B? Yesterday at the Big 12 media days, it was quoted that Brett Yormick said that they were open for business. Who do you think he was talking to when he said that? It sounds geographically like it would be the Pac-12, but is he speaking to, to really any team that wants to come to the Big 12? Uh, I, I think if, if you were to nail it down, you'd probably say the, the Pac-12. I mean, um, th- there was a sense a couple weeks ago, look, Brett Yormark gets hired, and I think either that day or the day after is when the Big Ten expansion news announced. And, um, you know, there's a sense of what's the Big 12 going to do now? What, what's Brett Yormark going to do? He's a new commissioner. He has no college experience. And he got on a conference, a Zoom call, I should say, with, with the athletic directors of the Big 12. And he was aggressive. He was proactive. And he won them over very, very quickly, um, basically saying we're not going to sit tight. We're not going to sit here and watch the world pass us by. We're, we're going to be the aggressors here. Uh, there was a sense that I got talking to people in the Big 12 that, uh, you know, the Pac-12 had a chance to essentially destroy the Big 12 last year after the Texas Oklahoma defections, and they chose not to. Um, there was a sense of the Big 12 of, hey, you know what? Shame on us if we don't take advantage of this opportunity to do to them what they failed to do to us last year. Now, again, that's easier said than done. And I do think, you know, despite the struggles for the Pac-12, despite the, the you know the, the rough news cycle for the Pac-12 uh, the last couple of weeks with USC and UCLA leaving, there is a collegiality among that conference. There is a commonality among that conference, the university presence there. Really, you know, for better or worse, think very, very highly of themselves and are very tight-knit and think of themselves as a very exclusive club that, you know, when put together, even if it's only 10 teams and not 12 anymore, is still a pretty powerful entity. I mean, look, I think if Oregon and Washington could have gone out of there by now, they would have, and, and they haven't. And because of that, I, I think outside of Notre Dame, those are probably the two biggest – power players slash brands left on the table, so to speak, in the realignment craze. And if you're a Colorado or Utah, if you're an Arizona or Arizona State, I, I think you need to think long and hard about not making just a, a quick trigger decision to join the Big 12 or go elsewhere. Because I do think, you know, as long as the Pac-12, 12, whatever you call it now, Pac-10 stays at 10 teams right now, it's probably a more affordable, formidable league from a, a unity strength in financial standpoint than those schools would be had they chosen to go to the Big 12, especially when you look at the changing nature of the Big 12 and you look at the fact that that would be a much bigger conference that would be splitting up uh, probably a a similar pie uh, to more schools that they'd be distributed to. So I I get why the Big 12 wants to be aggressive right now. I I don't think you need to jump at the first one that asks you out to the prom, so to speak, if you're still in the Pac-12 right now. Matt Fortuna, uh, actual football will happen here and <laughs> <laughs> in the Big Ten with media days on the horizon and, uh, and then training camps and, and sooner or later actual games. What's maybe one or two things you're most curious about or intrigued about at the beginning of the season? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very powerful week one slate. And, and you know, the, probably the greatest thing about the college football playoff, aside from actually having a, a tournament to decide a champion, of course, is that people beat up their non-conference schedules and opening week became this big showcase. It's really five-day showcase, Thursday through Monday, um, of great non-conference football games. Whereas in the past, everyone just wanted to schedule a bunch of passes that had their one loss record. Um, you know, the Notre Dame-Ohio State game is going to be great. I think Dan Lanning at Oregon opening up against the Georgia team, he was just the D.C. for in week one, is going to be really fun. Um, you've got Brian Kelly opening with LSU against uh, Florida State that Sunday. I think there are a lot of fun week one matchups. Uh, obviously, you know, the, the Dublin game in week zero uh, with Northwestern and, and Nebraska. Um, so, you know, I think very early on from the get-go, we're going to see a lot of high-quality, entertaining, uh, non-conference and then Northwestern's case, conference matchups. They're going to tell us a lot about those teams throughout the course of the season. The one team that I think is very interesting to follow this year because of what happened last year, both on and off the field, is going to be Clemson. I mean, that's a team that um, ascended to a national power, won multiple national championships, won six straight ACC titles under Dabo Swinney. And, you know, they weren't – look, they have a lot of inherent advantages, right? But they were no one's idea of an Alabama or, or the sleeping giant superpower before they started winning the way they did. And – we're talking about a, a growing brand here that's in a conference that's on the outside looking in right now, but also wasn't that great on the field last year by its standards and also saw a lot of internal staff turnover um, for the first time in a while with both their coordinators leaving to become head coaches elsewhere. Uh, I, I think this is a very crucial year for, for Clemson to, to, to right the ship, so to speak. They won 10 games last year. That's great, but they're in the business of winning competing for national championships at Clemson or Davos Winnie. It's going to be interesting to see if they can get back to that superpower status overnight, or if last year was maybe the beginning of the end of, of Dabo's dynasty, so to speak, and if someone else in the ACC can can reclaim the throne from them, from them. Big Ten champion, are you are you defaulting to Ohio State or Ohio State? <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't give me a whole lot of wiggle room there. Um, I yeah, I, uh, it's it's hard to see anyone match up with Ohio State. That's not to say it can't happen. There's a sleeper team every year or two that, that comes out of nowhere and at least seems like a threat to win the Big Ten. Um, but but I think they've got that added chip on their shoulder for, from losing to Michigan last year. They've got a huge statement game in week one under the lights against Notre Dame and an alum in Marcus Freeman. Um, and, and they've got a returning Heisman finalist at quarterback and, and probably the best receiving core in the country. That, that's a very, very lethal beast in Columbus that when they're, they're clicking on all cylinders, it's going to be really tough to beat, at least in Big Ten play. All right, Matt Fortuna, uh, go refresh the Twitter feed. There may have been schools added <laughs> since we started our segment. And, uh, yeah, we'll just try to keep up, all right? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it, guys. You guys hang in there as well. All right, Matt Thanks, Fortuna Matt. from The Athletic. And I should say the uh, number of power teams is actually more than 65 by the time this all gets said and done because of the teams that are coming into the Big 12. Well, my point or my little dream is still stands. Just make four football conferences and be done with it and keep everything else as it is. I don't know. All right. Uh, we have more coming up, but I want to take a moment to tell you about CU Trade Services. I've been telling you about them for a little bit, and if you haven't gotten on that maintenance plan, time to do it. Don't delay. You are uh, just waiting for something to happen 
that could be a, a bigger issue instead of getting the work done now. So give them a call to get on their uh, year-round service plan that can help uh, make sure everything's on the up and up. But but it, no shame if something does happen because that's just how things go. They're ready to respond to your needs uh, in a hurry as well. You can find them online at cutradeservices.com. They not only take care of residential issues, but commercial issues as well. They just installed air conditioning up in Iroquois County for the schools there. That's where they're turning to. Turn to what so many are turning to now in CU Trade Services. Uh, Great folks that are down-to-earth, professional and courteous and thorough in the way they take care of you as a customer. It's CU Trade Services. This is Sports Talk. And uh, under the category of, and it's a big category, things I did not know. It's a very big category. But I did not know. Wow, wild whack. Do you know the team with the most wins in NFL history? I feel like this isn't a trick question. No. Well, it may or may not be, but just total wins. So it's obviously an older franchise. Yeah. Most cumulative wins. I'm just going to take the low-hanging fruit. Is it the Bears? It is. That's what I thought. By one game. Because they're the oldest franchise in the NFL. <laughs> they have 783 wins. The Packers have 782. They're the top two winningest teams. Longest rivalry in the NFL. Two of the founding members of the NFL. I got a feeling the Packers are going to overtake the Bears this coming year. Yeah, It's been a long time coming. The, the fact that they held them off this long. Is surprising. The tenth most winningest team in NFL history are the Lions. Same kind of thing. They've yeah. just been around long enough. You just kind of add the wins in. Uh, but I credit. Uh, I don't know where he got it, but uh, if if he made it himself or someone else. But Brad Replinger mm. <laughs> said, "Let's just check the average wins per year." Now we're talking <laughs> average wins per year in the course of their history. Now the Bears are uh, in the upper half. Oh, okay. Uh, I would know in two, four. And, of course, this is going across three different. 13th? Yeah, this is across three different season lengths, right, from 14 to 16 and now 17. So. Uh, yeah, I'm assuming that's correct. It just it just went total just, wins yeah, divided by, by seasons. seasons. Yeah, so uh, they're 13. So number one, I'm going to guess, is the Ravens. How did you know that? That was just. Did I, you I, see this? No, it was. He just did not see this process of uh, elimination and just few, so few years of the franchise history and so many successful seasons. That's that's my process. Eight point nine six wins a year. Okay, nearly nine wins a year, and and the next highest is a beleaguered fan base who are always upset, or at least. They're very passionate, but they're always feeling like they're underachieving, or their owner is. Oh, oh, well, now I could go a number of directions. How about them Cowboys? Ah, of course. Per year, the second winningest team in the NFL at 8.68. Yeah, makes sense. Third is the Patriots. Okay, a lot to do with the last 20-some years. Mm-hmm. Fourth 
I would not have expected this. Uh, the <laughs> Vikings. Oh. I thought you were going to say the Chiefs. That's They're fifth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Steady well, Eddie's o- over there in KC. Well, and the Vikings talk about a, a franchise that they're fourth in average wins, but without a title, or it's been decades and Aren't decades. Aren't the Vikings like always eight and eight, or nine and eight, or eight and nine, or whatever it's going to be? And know? then when they get a 14 and one, or 14 and two, I can't do math season. And, and then, then they choke. The greatest, the greatest kicker of all time just kind of misses it, you know, things or like Brett that. Or Brett Favre throws an interception. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it, I mean, they were out to get his head that day, but <laughs> wins here nor there. wins per year. Your worst team, Texans. Sorry, they are in the bottom third. Jags got them beat. The Jags are worse, but there's three more teams that are worse in wins per year. Really, the Browns. One really old franchise, but you don't think about them being really old. The Rams? Raiders? The Cardinals. Ah. The Cardinals are a franchise that are 102 seasons old because, what, they start in Chicago mm-hmm. and then St. Louis, St. Louis and then Arizona? Yeah. They've averaged 5.66 wins a year. The second worst is another really old franchise, Detroit. Oh, okay. That checks out. Then the Buccaneers, third worst. Well, they were so bad when they, when they first got into the league. Oh, yeah. So... No matter how many years Tom Brady's there, that'll probably take a while. Mm-hmm. By the way, Rob Gronkowski's not coming back. There's no way, he says. That's okay. I, I think he could make more money doing TV stuff anyway. I wouldn't blame him. I understand. Media's where the money's at, people. Well, when you got a personality like that. <laughs> coming right back. Thursday. It's Thursday. Hip-Hop Thursday. Tomorrow's a funky Friday. Bob Osmussen will do the world according to Bob and see what other fun we can drum up as well. White Sox baseball coming up in just a few minutes. Pre-game show from Minneapolis. Kind of in must-win territory when you're playing division games now for the White Sox. No excuses. They can be better than the Twins, in my opinion. If they... Mm-hmm. They just need to focus, apply themselves. <laughs> Something like that. Nice to have Johnny Cueto on the mound. He's been one of their stoppers uh, along with Dylan Cease. So hopefully he can turn in a, a solid start. Yesterday, Aloy Jimenez went down again. I've been looking to see what they're doing with him, but I haven't seen. But it's too bad uh, a guy that just hits tank after tank, but he can't stay healthy out in the outfield. So Hopefully he can get healthy or, or the guys that are healthy can, can get the bats going. They'll make a documentary about him one day. What <laughs> what could have been? What if I told you this man <laughs> couldn't stay healthy? Well, I mean, they, they said he passed away back in, what was that, last year when they hung his jersey. So <laughs> for him to come back from that. Uh, Illinois is hosting Family Day at Memorial Stadium with an INL look, there. I meant to look that up. Uh, and and uh, they've done this before. Movie night, you can vote on their social media for the movie you want to see. What are you going with here, Evan? You have we got, options for me? Yep. We've okay. got Space Jam, A New Legacy, oh. Spider-Man, No Way Home, Oh no! The Bad Guys, and Sonic the Hedgehog 2. I assume these are all family-friendly. They're all family-friendly, and they're, they're all new ones, so it's kind of out of my wheelhouse. I'm not a big uh, 
what is it, sequel fans, so we're going to throw out Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm sorry. Space Jam t- as well? Space Jam. See, it's a new legacy, right? It's not Space Jam 2, so it's still <laughs> in the running. What, what was the other one? Bad Guy? I've never even heard of that. The Bad Guys. Yeah, yeah, he's gone. And Spider-Man No Way Home, which Ooh. is in the lead right now in their poll. Yeah, and people like Tom Holland. I think Zendaya's in that one. I think we're going to go with the Spidey. Two people I definitely know who you're talking about there. Yeah, yeah. You, you might if you saw him. One of those kinds of things. All right. We had some golf talk with Rory Spears, Lauren Tate as well. Matt Fortuna from The Athletic. Joey Wright, our producer today. And Evan Kahn here with me, Scott Beatty. Funky Friday tomorrow, Saturday Sports Talk at 9 a.m. One more before vacation, Evan. So you've got to get it all out tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see what bullets I got left. There's plenty in the chamber, I'm sure. (laughs) Maybe a few. It's been a, it's been a quiet week. Newstalk 1400, 93.9 FM, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. Here come the White Sox. <laughs>